All right, I'll be reading from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read just verses 37 through 39. We are continuing in our series on how to neighbor. And, we, and I, I want to kind of put all of this back together again for you. I want to put it in, in kind of the big context so you kind of know where we're going. But all of this has to do with how we as the church are able to be a neighbor to the people around us. And who are those people going to be? Well, you just never know. It's the people God puts in your path. We started this a few weeks ago. Um, so I'm going to read the scripture first and then uh, we'll walk through it together. Let me start with the scripture. I want you to be able to see that. I'm going to read it straight from my Bible, but you've got it on the screen if you want to see it. This is, again, Acts chapter 2. We've been three weeks in this chapter looking at what it means to be the church. And when you get to this part, this is, this is a, a part of it that describes what's happening in the church itself. So Peter had finished his sermon, and this is what it says. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for what you did some 2,000 years ago that still makes a difference in our lives today. And on this Sunday morning, as we gather in this place and read these words again, we want to ask you to stir our thoughts, our thinking, our hearts. Let this make a difference in the way we think and in the things that we do. Thank you for giving us direction about how to be the kind of neighbor, how to be the kind of person that you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a few things I want you to see here, just to kind of know where we're going with everything. But this is where we started a few weeks ago. How to neighbor, we started with get in the ditch. You remember we looked at the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan and how Jesus taught us through that parable that it's not about you having neighbors, it's about you being a neighbor. And sometimes being a neighbor means you just have to get in the ditch wherever people are. You just have to go to where they are. There's no explanation for how they got there, why they're there, how long they've been there. None of that we need to understand. We just have to go to where they are, just, just get in the ditch, stay there, and start and see what God will do. So we spent a week just talking about those things, and then we took that next part of it. So I called it the first steps, and there were several of these, and it just kind of went through them real quick. That is that we, we have to wait and not worry. You're going to jump in the ditch with people, you can't fix things. It's really not even your job to fix it. You just have to be there to see what God would do. So you start with wait, don't worry. You have to realize that the power that, that comes to you is power that comes from above, it comes from God. And then we as a church, we kind of expand that out. It means that we have to prepare for everyone to be a part of this. Everyone gets to be included. It's not like a pastor-only thing. It's not just for special people in the church. It's for everyone. And so what I know when I look out at you is there's a part for every one of you in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as far as our expectations go, you have to expect that it's going to be different and more. You know, whatever you've been doing so far, you can expect if you follow Jesus Christ that he's going to take you in a direction that's different and 
you're going to do more than you ever thought you would do. I'm not talking about more like productivity. I'm just saying you, never, you probably never saw yourself in that role. You probably never saw yourself doing those things. But that's what will happen when you jump in the ditch and just start waiting for the Lord to show you the next steps. Then we spent a week talking about how the Spirit works in all of this. And, and the Spirit is truly the mark of the church. It is the Holy Spirit that makes a difference in everything we do. If, if we could take time one day, and maybe one day we'll do this. We'll just take a little time to let people share, whatever. But every single one of you has a unique story for how you got here. How you, how you came to be part of this church. And, and some of you can back up you know, decades and kind of tell the story of how God wove your life together and got it into this place. And so when you look at that, there's one factor that holds all of that together, and that is the work of God's Spirit. How God moves us, how God prepares us, how God gets us to where we should be. And so we talked about that, the defining marks of God's Spirit. The defining means is always his sons and his daughters, and I put a lot of emphasis on the daughters part of that, because in the first century, everyone would expect God to work through the men. They didn't expect God to work through the women. And that's the message we still need to talk about today, how important it is for the role of women in the ministry and in the church. And then the defining method, visions and dreams, you can expect God to do things in unusual ways to communicate what he wants done in his church. And then the defining motive is always prophecy, which when I say prophecy, I'm not talking about telling the future. I'm not talking about fortune tellers. I'm talking about speaking for God and the tremendous responsibility that you and I have to be spokespeople for God himself. So that's the spirit power. Now, today we're going to talk about speaking clearly. Because at some point, you have to articulate. You have to be able to say what it is that you believe. Or you, you need to be able to give a reason for the things that you do. Now, you know, if, if you just, if you would say, well, look, my mom just raised me right. That's why I'm like I am. Okay, no problem with that. That's good. But it may be that much of what you do, you do simply because Jesus Christ changed your life. That he works in you. And he gives you kind of a compassion and a kindness for people that you can't help but share. And people will see that first in you. And at some point, it gives you an opportunity, it gives you a platform to speak. To say, this is why I do this, or this is why you matter to me, or this is why I care. And so you start to speak those things. And so we're just going to real quickly, three things I'm going to share from the scripture we read today about speaking clearly as, as kind of the, the next movement in how to neighbor. You can't be a good neighbor until you start to speak some of these things. And so the first one, the facts. What we didn't read today and what we did not have time to read today earlier in Acts chapter two was everything that Peter said in his sermon. See, I just started us at verse 37 when he was done and how the people said, or what the scripture said of the people, that they were pierced to the heart. They heard a message. They heard some facts. They heard a story. They, they heard Peter put what happened in, in their community in context. And he basically looks at a group of people, some of whom were responsible for Jesus going to the cross. Some of which, uh, even if they weren't directly responsible for Jesus being nailed to a cross, they endorsed it. They were for it. And, G and, and when Peter spoke to that group, he said to them, look, you guys had him put to death. You had him killed. But God raised him from the dead, and we are his witnesses. Kind of a shock, right? There were rumors going around that Jesus had come back from the dead. 
There were rumors uh, being spread about him and maybe someone had taken his body, stolen his body. But then when the spirit filled the church and Peter stood up to be the single spokesman on that day, he said, no, it's not any of those things. Listen, God demonstrated his love and his power by raising Jesus from the dead. That's what's happened. And so those were the facts. He just laid them out there. And when he gave the facts, now, now think about what you know about people. You can be a very persuasive person, but some people are so hard-headed. Am I right? Right? Doesn't matter how many facts you give them. Doesn't matter how many times you tell them the truth or, or any of those things. Some people, just they're not getting it. Right? Not getting it. Peter was dealing with that. He was dealing with people who had made up their mind about Jesus so strongly, they were willing to have Jesus killed. Like they were willing to bring the authority of the Roman state into this so that he could be crucified. Capital punishment. That's how much they hated Jesus. So Peter's not going to change their mind just by telling them something. And yet on this day, he gives them the facts. And some of them were pierced to the heart, meaning they did change. That's the work of the Spirit. That's what God can do. Look, I've seen this as a pastor. You can have people come into a church. Maybe somebody made them to come to church or whatever. They're in a church. They hear the same thing over and over again. You know, if you grew up kind of in a church culture and you had to go to church a lot because people made you go, you know, you're there. You hear the story. You got it. I know the facts. But it doesn't change your mind and it doesn't change your heart about Jesus. If that's ever going to happen, it happens because of the work of the Spirit. And that's what we're looking at this day. And part of what I want to say to us as a church is that we want to always be mindful of that and to be totally dependent. Because you might tell the facts, I might tell the facts, but either way, what we're doing is we're trusting that God will take that information and he'll do transformation in someone's life. He's the only one who can do it. So if you ever give a testimony, by the way, I'd love for you to give a testimony sometime. Testimony is you just stand up and you just kind of tell your story. I mean, don't tell us all the, you know, gory stuff. We don't need to know that. But we might need to know a little bit about what your life was like before. But what we really want to hear is how Jesus took hold of you. How Jesus found a way to reach you and change your life. And it doesn't make you perfect. And, and you know, I, I, I mean, I always, when I hear those testimonies, when people tell how bad they were and then they met Jesus and their life's been nearly perfect since, when I hear those, I'm like, you're not telling us something. <laughs> you know, you're just leaving some things out here because your life may have been really bad. Jesus did change your life. I love to hear that. But, but don't, don't try to tell us everything's been 99% perfect ever since. In an eternal sense, it is 100%, 100%. But this is what happens when a person comes to know Jesus Christ. They are changed in, in, in the spirit. And that starts working its way out, which means they slowly begin changing as people. And, and the speed is different for everyone. But little by little, day after day, year after year, you start to think a little differently. You start to feel a little differently. You start to act a little differently. And if you have time, you're not like the thief on the cross. You know, he, he believed in Jesus the same day he died. He had no time to do any of this. You and I are not like that. We have, you know, years and sometimes decades to go through this process. And, and there should be some 
recognize change in your life. You're still far from perfect. None of us are perfect, but we start to see how we think differently. We feel differently. We act differently. We do things now that a few years ago we would never do. And and the only explanation we have for that is that Jesus changed our lives. He changed us. I wish my uncle could be here one day and tell you about 12-year-old me that he used to take to church. Yeah, 12-year-old me. I know, when I tell young people that, they were like, you were 12 once? I've always been this old, I guess, <laughs> you know. But 12-year-old me apparently was a pain at church. I don't know why. Yeah, I do. But that was 12-year-old me. And then I think, you know, okay, what if you could hear stories about 16-year-old me? I wasn't the person I am today. What if you could hear stories about 25-year-old me? Or we could hear stories about 25-year-old you. <laughs> Some of you are like, no, <laughs> never. And you just keep going. And, and, you know, you can chalk some of it up to saying, well, I just got older and I just learned some things. I'm a little wiser and, you know, the difficulties of life just kind of changed me. Yeah, that's some of it. But, but I'm standing here today and I know that the reason I'm here and the reason I do so much of what I do is because... Jesus Christ took hold of my life and he began to change what I think, what I feel, what I do, what I value, what's important to me. And and while I'm far from perfect, I know that's my testimony. He changed me. Now, here's the good part for you and I. We're not done yet. Isn't that great? You're not done yet. So if you're discouraged today about where you are in life and you think I should be further than this, I should be different than this, I just want to say to you, it's all right. Just, Just trust him. He'll get you there. Let me give you some theological words. I wasn't planning on telling this, but I'm going to tell it today because it helps. These are the big theological words. There is justification, sanctification, and glorification. I know, it sounds like, where are we, Sunday school? Yes. All right, so quick quick definition. Justification is, is when you're saved. It's when you first come to know Jesus, you are justified before God. At that point, you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and He makes you justified before God the Father. You will never be condemned for your sin. You will never spend eternity separated from Him. You have been justified. That is the moment of salvation. Wonderful concept, right? The Bible speaks a lot about justification. Sanctification's in the middle. That's the process of becoming like Jesus. Some people get a few years to do it. Some get a few decades to do it. But from the moment they're justified and saved, they have this time where they're slowly becoming like Jesus. Sometimes they're doing this, sometimes they're doing this, sometimes they're doing this, sometimes they're back this way, but they're moving forward. Glorification is at the end. It's what happens last. Let's say you've lived your whole life, you die, they bury you, your spirit goes to heaven, your body's placed in the ground somewhere, and then sometime after that, Jesus returns. The dead in Christ rise first, your body is resurrected from the grave, your spirit is, is back in that body. You are a transformed person in every possible way. You have been glorified in Jesus Christ. That's a great term, right? To think of that at the end. That one day you, the, the one that God made, will be everything God intended for you to be. That's glorification. Think Jesus when he rose from the dead. Perfect in every way. One day that'll be you. Now, <clears throat> justification over here, you can't do anything about that, right? You have no power to save yourself. You have no ability to make yourself justified before God. Only God can do that through Jesus Christ. So you can't do that yourself. He does it. 
Glorification on the other end? You can't do that either. You have no ability to make yourself rise from the dead some decades from now or hundreds of years from now. Whenever it happens, you have no ability to cause that resurrection from the dead. You can't do it. It's beyond your power. So what makes us think that we can do all the middle stuff in sanctification? How is it that if we can't save ourselves or raise ourselves from the dead, how is it that we think we can sanctify ourselves if we just try hard enough? You see where I'm going with that? You're living through this process of sanctification, but ultimately it is God who changes you. You'll try. You'll put forth the effort. You'll say, well, I'm going to give it you know, my best go. I'm really going to try to live a different life. Okay, do all that, but it will be God who changes you. There'll be things that happen in you that you weren't trying to change. He'll just do it anyway. Have you ever talked to those people that tell you God took something away from them? You know, they had a problem, they had some kind of issue, and they just were like, God, would you help me? And then just like that, it was gone. Now, I know I always have people, when you hear that, that say, well, I've been praying for that, and it just hadn't happened yet. Does God not love me? No, that's not true. Okay, if, if God leaves you with the struggle, just know he's with you in the struggle. He's not forgotten you. He's not abandoning you. He, it's not that he doesn't care, but if he didn't take it away from you, there's some reason for that. He's with you in it. Okay, but God does sometimes just take those struggles away from people. And when he does it, they know it wasn't them. They had no power. They couldn't do it, but God did it for them. And probably every one of you in this room if you try to follow Jesus Christ, you'll have a few of those stories over the course of your lifetime. You'll have a few of those stories where you say, you know, I asked God to help me because I was powerless to do anything about it. And he did. He changed me. Oh, that's your testimony. And I got into all of that because we're thinking about the facts. Now, when you tell your story to people, when you tell people what's happened to you, you can't get that wrong. Maybe you don't fully understand everything God's done in your life, but you can't get that wrong. And so if you want to be the kind of neighbor we're talking about, if you're willing to get in the ditch with people, you've got to be honest about your own life. You've got to be willing to tell your story. Tell the facts about Jesus. Tell the facts about your life. You can't get that wrong. And then trust that God will change someone by His Spirit through that. Happens all the time. This is the way God works through His people. All right, let's look at the second one. After the facts, you have the faith. So what happened in, in the next verse, in verse 38, is they said to Peter, well, what do we do? And Peter said, okay, these are the, the steps you take. Because this is, this is what the faith looks like. And those are the three words that you see on the screen. Those are the three words that kind of frame up what he told them to do. He told them to repent. He told them to be baptized. He told them they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those three things. So let's just think about that for a moment. Okay, repentance. Repent. Do you ever hear that word outside of church? Like, is there anywhere you go and someone talks about repenting? It, it is distinctly, I mean, uniquely even in the church. You're not going to hear this at the bank. You won't hear it at the grocery store. They're not going to be talking about this at school. You know, if they don't want you to do what you're doing in school, they'll tell you something else, but they won't say repent. That's kind of a, it's kind of a different word. So my concern often in the church is, do people even know what we're talking about when we talk about repent? Today's Veterans Day, right? Right, so we want to do kind of a recognition today. We want to thank God for those who 
who've served in our military. But they all understand about face, right? They know what it is to be facing one way and turn around the other on command, right? If you want a quick understanding of repentance, that's it. You're doing a, you're doing a 180. You're facing one direction, you turn the other direction. That's repentance. You're living your life a certain way and, and you come to understand what Jesus Christ did for you and what he wants from you. And you just, you just, that direction, that life, you just put that down and you turn and you go toward him. That's repentance. It, it has another dynamic to it because part of repentance is, you know what? I've been doing something and I was doing it wrong. It was not what I should do. And I, I need to let go of that and I need to go toward him and toward what is right. That's repentance. Every person in this room that follows Jesus has gone through that. So if you're here today and, and you kind of feel you know, alone in that or you, you're not sure about that, just know every person in this room who is genuinely trying to follow Jesus Christ has gone through that. We've all had that experience of my life is a mess. My life is a wreck. I thought I was doing right. I was doing my own thing and I came to understand it was all wrong. We've all been through that. Some of us been through it a lot. And repentance is, I'm going to turn loose of that. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to run toward Jesus. That's repentance. It doesn't make you perfect. It just makes you running, running toward the one who is. So that's repentance. Now, what's the second part? He said be baptized. So this is kind of the unique mark of the church, baptism. Nobody else does this. And Baptists, we do this the way we believe the scripture teaches, which is by immersion. So we put, it's like when my daughter was six, you know, we were trying to explain. I said, you know, we're talking about baptism. She said, yes, dad, you dunk them like a cookie, right? All the way in, not just a little bit in the milk, all the way in, right? That's, that's dunk. You put them all the way in under, okay, that, that's baptism. But, you know, I know some of you were sprinkled and whatever, and, and you know, that, that's what happened. But baptism means you, John the Baptist was standing in the water. People came out to him. He didn't throw water on them. He put them in. Like he, he put them under the water because it's a symbol of death. You have to be buried. And then when you come back up, it's a symbol of life. It's a symbol of resurrection. That's what happens when a person comes to faith in Jesus. So when they repent and they come to faith in Christ, the outward showing of that is the baptism. So the buried in the water, brought up out of the water. It's the death. It's the resurrection. It's the symbolism. And that's what we do. It's what we still do. It's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. You know, there are different ways we do things. We have people come forward in church and we present them and all that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want the most biblical way to understand becoming part of the church, it's baptism. That's it. Because baptism is your way of saying something happened inside of me. And I'm a new person. That's why I was baptized. And it's a testimony. It's a witness to everybody else what happened. And so here's the third part of it. He talks about being filled with the Spirit. Now, there's one thing I don't want you to leave here confused about. You don't have to repent, be baptized a day or two or a week later, and then you get the Spirit. I don't want you to think that. Because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, that's when you receive the Spirit of God. In fact, it is the Spirit of God that even enables you to think and believe. So... Those happen at one time. So, so repentance, faith, filling of the Spirit, all that happens in a moment. Your baptism may be next Sunday or a couple weeks from now. 
the outward expression of what already happened. So when you see it in this order and you read about it in the scripture in that order, just don't think that you have to wait to get the spirit after you get baptized. Because that's not true. You receive the spirit the, the moment you believe. Baptism may be scheduled a little bit later. But that's what we're thinking about when we speak clearly of our faith. So if you're, and, and by the way, this happens more and more. You meet people who have no church background. They don't know anything about church. They don't know what we do. And if they showed up for a baptism service, they'd think, what are these people? <laughs> you know, what are they doing? They got this tank over there and they're putting people in water. What is that about? Speak clearly, right? This is our moment to explain. That's why baptism is such an important thing that we do as a church because for the, our children, I mean, did y'all see all the kids leave out of here a few moments ago? All right, the next time we have a baptism, you want to make sure the children are around to see it. The ones that, you know, haven't been baptized yet and they're just too young for it or whatever, they're not ready. When they see that, they're going to have questions. First, they want to get in the water. That's what I notice. Like when I'm over at the, you know, when we're doing one of these outside and there's a tank, you know, and there's, I'm over there checking it out to see if it's going to be warm enough or whatever. And there's always some kid that runs over there like, can I get in? Oh, it's not for you today. You know, we, we had that, didn't we, Matt, with your, your children. And the same way with the Lord's Supper. You start passing and, and everybody's getting, you know, the, the cup and they're getting that little piece of bread. And you got a, a four-year-old next to you like, I want some of that. I don't know what it is. But, but they want some of that, right? And they don't know the meaning yet. But they'll ask you questions and that becomes the platform for you to talk about the faith. And as they get older, that becomes more in-depth and more meaningful. It's just part of what we do. But we have to speak clearly. Why do we do these things? And what's it all about? And repentance, and baptism, and the Spirit. That's what Peter's talking about here. Let me do the last one for you, okay? There's only three today. Wow. I know. So the third part is the future. And this is out of verse 39 because he talks about the promise. And let me just read the verse again. Verse 39. Just, just hear this. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Can I just say to you, that includes you. When Peter spoke these words, you were the ones afar off. You, you, number one, you weren't even born. You know, you were 2,000 years from even walking this planet. You're on the other side of the planet from where Peter was speaking these words. But you are one of those people far off that God would call to himself. That's who you are. And if that doesn't just kind of make your heart smile a little bit, I don't know. You're one of those people that God thought about long before you were ever born, who loved you so much that he would provide his son Give his son. That was our opening scripture today. He would give his son for you. So never doubt how much he loves you and how much you matter to him. The future. And so you were that future that Peter was talking about. And there are so many more who are that future even now. You think about it. When you drove in here today, you drove through the neighborhood, you drove in. How many people, they're just in their houses, you know, getting ready for football today or sleeping in or watching their favorite show, whatever they're doing. They're not thinking about God. They're not thinking about faith and repentance and spirit and all of those things. They're not. We exist as the church for them. They're not thinking about us, but we're supposed to be thinking about them. They are the future church. 
Right now they don't know. Right now they don't care. It doesn't matter to them. Maybe they're very different from us in all kinds of ways. But we exist for them. And if you'll just kind of back that up, understand that the people that first heard Peter preach this over in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago in the first century, when they heard that, they weren't thinking about you. As far as they were concerned, you know, they don't know you, wouldn't know you, would never see you. But they existed for that next future generation of believers and then the next generation and then the next generation. And then here we are and we exist for that next generation of believers. So we have to speak clearly. In just a few moments, what we'll do, we'll, we'll wrap this up. We'll stand together. We'll pray. And I just want you to have a few moments to respond and talk to God. And this is what I would ask you to do. Would you just in your own way say to God, here I am. I'm available. God, I don't know how you might do it. I don't understand that. But if you can, through my life, help somebody else come to know you, that's what I want you to do. I'll say yes to you for that. Could you pray something like that? Could you offer some kind of prayer to God like that? Because if you do, if you just make yourself available, I don't have any doubt that God will do it through you. Some years ago, when I was in Panama City, we um, had a lady start coming to our church, and she always came by herself. Turns out she lived by herself, and she always sat on the back row. And I didn't know for several weeks, maybe a couple months into it, kind of what happened and how she started coming to our church. But we had a, a group of students. Student groups love to come to Panama City. You know, they just love that. And so a group was coming from somewhere north of Atlanta, and they wanted to know could they do something, you know, while they were here. They were going to have a great time, but could they do something for our church? So I said, well, we got a, a lot of flowers, you know, just uh, this neighborhood called Derby Woods behind us. Just, just go through there door to door and hand out these flowers and just... You know, just do a little promotion for our church. And they did. And, and this lady, Linda, she was one of those who got one of those flowers. I never would have met her any other way. She got one of those flowers. She decided to show up one Sunday, and she just kept coming back. After she'd been in our church for a while, I did this thing one, one day where I gave out everybody. I gave to everybody those little white lifesavers that are in packages, you know, individually wrapped little white lifesavers. So I passed one out to everybody, and we were just thinking about how Jesus is the lifesaver. I know it's cheesy, but it's true. Gave everyone, I said, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this lifesaver, just remember that Jesus is the only one who can save anybody else, and just ask God to work through your life to help someone so that they can be saved. Linda took hers and put it in her purse. I didn't know this till later. And this is what she told us later. She said, I figured that thing would just stay in my purse till it disintegrated. Like, God's never going to use me. God's never going to speak through me. There's no way. I'm so quiet. I'm so reserved. You know, I just don't do this kind of thing. There's no way God could ever do something through my life so that someone else might come to know him. And one Wednesday night, she came in, and I was taking prayer requests, and she asked to speak, and she started telling a story about how someone at work, she met them, they just started talking about faith things. The lady came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And right there on that Wednesday night, she just opened up that lifesaver right there. She ate the thing. I didn't tell her to do that, but she did it. She just like, I guess she thought that's what you do. You know, when something good happens, you eat the lifesaver. She did it. But we just all just, you know, just kind of celebrated with her because she didn't think that she was the kind of person that God could work through in that way. And I'm just saying, 
That's not true. If you've got God's spirit in you, God can work through anyone. If you'll just make yourself available to him. So would you pray something like that today? Let's stand together and we'll pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your love toward us. And thank you, Lord, for uh, giving us this scripture to think about. And right now, it's my prayer that every one of us would just say yes. Just make ourselves available to you. However, whenever, whomever, God, would you work through our lives so that other people come into your kingdom. We give you this time of invitation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.